Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 82 for Tuesday, September 6th, 2011. As usual, I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. Hi, Paul. How are you? All right. Can't complain. Busy week. Back to school. Lots of kids. Classes started. You know, same old, same old. Still lots of movies to watch, though. Um, yep. You got busy two movies month. starting this week and a bunch more coming later this month, so it's a uh, it's boom time, at least here for Hong Kong cinema. Sadly, uh, one film that we're looking forward to uh, got bumped off to October. Paul, guess which one? Uh, it's not the uh, uh, Green Snake remake, is it? No, no. It's uh, sadly it's the one that we're looking forward to even more, which is Thirty Three D Invader, oh. the the softcore erotic film. Uh, it was it was due to open on September twenty second um, against My Kingdom, and now it's been bumped to two weeks later to October sixth. But it will have um, advanced showings during um, the week before that because uh, you have the Golden Week uh, tourists coming down from China. So. Why why did they bump it? Um, I think it's because it's too crowded. You have at least uh, you have three movies, no, I think four or five big major releases coming down the 29th. And then before that, you already have some movies coming out. You have um, My Kingdom because um, that one has two big kind of pop, poppy celebrities. So they're expecting something, you know, plus you have the action crowd. Uh, and I think another major Hollywood release that week as well. So that's at least seven, eight major releases out in, you know, two weeks' time. So they, they, they don't, there's, there isn't really room for a ninth movie so they figured they, they must want well to try their chances later after mm. the, the holidays yeah i guess especially considering that ninth movie is then 33d there just yes. isn't room um <laughs> so what are you going to do well we'll talk more about that as that date approaches uh but this is the show where we talk about films from hong kong to hollywood and some other stuff in between what's on board for this week's show kevin uh, well, for pseudo e-screen, we have uh, Snowflower and the Secret Fan, which is kind of a Chinese slash U.S. slash uh, maybe Korea slash maybe North Korea uh, co-production. Uh, West Screen, we have um, Horrible Bosses, uh, which I relate don't relate to at all whatsoever. None at all. Mm. Yeah, so that's... That's what we have this week. All right, so all that and some more coming up right after our news segment. All right, uh, some interesting news stories coming up this week. The first one, um, coming out of India, uh, coming from our favorite site, Film Biz Asia, Patrick Freider writes that the film Bodyguard has actually shattered Indian box office records. Um, according to distributor Reliance Entertainment, the film managed a net of approximately 19.7 million uh, for a, f- a five-day total in India. And uh, or no, I'm sorry, film managed a 
five-day total in India with further uh, overseas giving it a grand total of 23.8 million. Um, so this puts it ahead of Debang and Three Idiots, which we were just talking about on this show a couple weeks ago and is actually now in Hong Kong cinemas. Yes. Um, so I'm kind of excited uh, to see uh, this film. It looks, the, the, the picture they've got up here, this very muscle-bound guy, I'm guessing, is the bodyguard. That's Selwyn Khan. Yeah. Selwyn Khan, the star of Debang. Yes. Doing, uh, doing some uh, Bollywood dance. Um, That's essentially after Debang and this movie, I call him now the Indian Donnie. Okay, I call him the Indian Donnie. I, I'm just, I'm just curious. Do you know anything about the plot of this movie? Because, you know, you say the bodyguard, and I'm suddenly thinking Kevin Costner and uh, Whitney Houston, right? Yeah, it, uh, apparently this is like a third version of the same story, yeah. um, directed by the same director. Um, from the trailer that I've seen, uh, which is a great trailer, by the way, uh, I think it's about a bodyguard who protects like uh, either a rich girl, rich university age girl, um, who might be powerful in some way and i think there's a bunch of bad guys and of course they fall in love it's that kind of story mm. um so this guy's like one of those stoic strong bodyguard characters um and except when he dances yes except when he dances there's a scene in the film where um so everyone i think um he walks in and he's like in his black suit and, and sunglasses and everyone is like oh sir sir and then someone kind of goes not sir bodyguard bodyguard <laughs> and everyone looks around bodyguard 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 yeah so it's going to be an awesome movie. Uh, Someone Khan. Do you think we're going to get it here, or we're going to have to wait for a festival or something? As far as I know, it won't be at the festival this year, uh, from what I know. Um, the thing is, this is a really commercial, it seems like really commercial trashy entertainment. Uh, free, free Idiots, you can kind of pass it because it's about important issues. Um, it could make one of those midnight midnight things, uh, maybe for next year's Hong Kong National Film Festival. But mm. um, the thing is, these kind of really commercial, really, really commercial stuff, don't travel as well on festival circuits. Um, but according to our good friend Tim Youngs, uh, in Jim Sartre, one theater does host um, Bodywood film showings uh, locally that you have to buy tickets at Chunking Mansions. Really? For. Yes. Uh, I think it's either Golden Harvest, uh, Golden Gateway, or China Cam. Uh, one of these theaters actually hold you have to sign regular me up. screenings. Yes. Uh, but I haven't tried buying tickets for it, but I haven't checked recently if these, this movie is coming. But they usually have no subtitles. Mm. So that's something mm. you have to that, deal with. That's a consideration. Yeah, that is something I have to consider. But yeah, if you're really uh, that eager to catch it, uh, a little bird has told me that uh, he's already seen a DVD in the street. So, uh, so well, we, I'm, 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 I'm guessing the quality is not going to be that good. Um, I got a DVD once for, I want to say, Love Story 2050 in mm -hmm. the street, and it was an in-cinema experience, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Um so yeah, because this is just coming out, so it can't be a, it can't be a copy of an actual DVD um, burn, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah obviously. So, uh, of course, that's what you, yeah. So you just kind of what you risk if you're trying to, to watch it. But um, I'm sure someday um, we'll get to. Okay, Salman Khan and it's gonna break records. Looks like so it will reach home video. Maybe maybe not a festival, but you know, home video for sure because this is this is a huge blockbuster. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, if you're actually speaking of Chunking Mansions, um, there's a a book release that I read about. I want to say it was in uh, the Economist a couple weeks ago, um, written by a local scholar, Gordon Matthews. It's called "Ghetto at the Center of the World: Chunking Mansions, Hong Kong," um, and I've got it in my little wish list over there on Amazon. I'm I'm trying to see if I can find it locally though, because the Amazon shipping lists one to three weeks. 
So I'm mm. guessing that they're probably ordering it from Hong Kong and then shipping it back. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, I've checked a couple bookstores so far, and I haven't been able to track it down, but I've got a couple other places I want to check. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in the whole uh, chunking, the, the, the sort of the enigma that is chunking mansions and some of the stuff that actually goes on there, this scholar, he spent like, you know, all his free time there uh, in, in the, over the past four years, and now he's written this um, this book that's sort of like an analysis of the people and the things going on there, and it's, um, you know how local Hong Kong people avoid it. So, just a little sidebar if you're interested in uh, the cultural aspects of that, uh, you might want to check that out. All right, and I lost my notes. Ah, where am I? Next, uh, we're talking about Trey Hark. Uh, being named the Asian Filmmaker of the Year uh, this year at Pusan International Film Festival, right? Oh uh, yeah, and this yes. is—he's—he's uh, he's won an award earlier this year, right? Then he win um, Udine or something. What did uh, he no, he—he he won the uh, Asia, Lifetime Achievement Award oh, at the right. New York Asian Film Festival. Yeah. So this, um, I think, again, Detective D again helps because it—it it, it was such a. Re- revival of what we knew as Trey Hark. Um, not totally back on his game, but it was such such a big comeback that he's already earned at least two Lifetime Achievement Awards or two major major awards at film festivals worldwide. Um, Trey is the fifth Chinese filmmaker to receive award, the award in the uh, nine years that Pusan has been giving this out. Uh, the ones before have been Ho Xiao Xian in 2004. Andy Lau in 2006, uh, Edward Yang, um, 2007, probably given after his death, I think, and Chiming Yang uh, last year. So what do you think, Paul? I mean, you think Detective D and the com- upcoming um, Flying Sword to Dragon Gate, is Trey Hart back, or do you think it's just another... Well, that, that's, that's going to be it, and we're going to have to see his next film, really. I mean, as much as we all love Detective D and raved about it... Um, He's kind of been hit or miss up till then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully he's back. But we mm-hmm. won't know until we see the next film. Mm-hmm. But, and, of course, uh, we've, I, we've yeah. always got the Legend of Zoo. So. Legend of Zoo? Well, <laughs> the first movie is great. I mean, Of course, the original the, the original's excellent. And, um, but uh, the, the other one is... Um, it's if I, okay. If I, ever, if I want to... Wanna, wanna it's got some nice, it's got some nice moments. It's just, from a narrative standpoint, it's weird. If I ever want to blind myself and and you know fall vic- fall into coma for about five hours, I watch Legend of Zoo on my big yeah. on a big big fifty inch TV and sit right in front of it, and then be like, yeah, and then I'm out like a I'm out like a. Well, it's got you know both uh, um, uh, Cecilia right and uh, yeah who who is the who is the lead in that Eakin? Eakin and yeah. Louis Koo as like the the, yeah. the guy who turns evil, and I think there was a uh, Zhang Ziyi had a supporting role, um, yeah. and also Kelly 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 Lin. Yeah, Kelly Lin yeah. was the little fair evil fairy thing. Yes. Um, but Kelly then Lin again, you know, anyway. it's it's they're going to be together this weekend, right? Uh, Eakin and uh, Cecilia back back in the saddle. Woohoo! Treasure for hunt. treasure hunt, can't wait. Right. Kenneth has joined us in the chat room. Welcome, Kenneth. Always good to see you. Um, all right, our next bit of news, uh, some news from Japan. has caught my eye, also coming from Film Biz Asia. Patrick Freider writes, the online video service Hulu 
is to launch in Japan. And I have to say, what the heck? Here I am sitting in supposedly, you know, the pearl of the Orient, the hub of Asia, Asia's world city, and we don't have Hulu, we don't have Netflix, we got nothing. What's going on? And so Japan's getting a Hulu service. Now, it's not the same Hulu service that they've got in the U.S. And to be fair, um, for all the complaining I'm doing, I know some people who have this Hulu service in the U.S. and they have Hulu Plus, and they're not that happy with it because mm-hmm. um, the, though they have, you have the Hulu, they have, you have a free service, but then you have the paid service, and the people I know that have the paid service complain that they can't get access to a lot of the stuff on the free service for some reason. So... Um, Hulu's having some problems, but I think it's interesting that they're expanding internationally. But what they've set up in Japan, according to this article, seems to be slightly different from the way it's set up in the U.S. with the um, the two service tiers. Um, here, it's it's more like a streaming movie channel featuring some premium films, um, and it looks like they're going to also be entering into some mobile marketing partnerships with uh, some of the big companies like NTT, Docomo, and you'll be able to get some of this stuff mobily as well. So I think it's interesting that they're expanding. I'm kind of worried, though, that it may be a bit too late for them. I don't know. Well, here's the thing about um, Japan, the Japanese market. Um, Hong Kong, I'm not sure about Korea, but at least in Hong Kong and probably Singapore, um, IPTV or cable TV is, is a huge market. Um, everyone gets one of these boxes, no matter how, from cable TV, from now TV, whatever, we all got these boxes. So we can watch, these licensing deals are huge. But in Japan, actually cable TV or, or IPTV or these, these international networks aren't as huge. Instead, the rental market is actually quite huge. And um, I think instead of going through going through a distribu- distributor with video, that they figured this is a, a new way to crack into the Japanese market because they know they can't do television licensing deal in Japan because the market works differently. So this is probably a, an experiment, at least. Um, Japan is not really huge on internet streaming, as far as I know, yet. So this is going to be interesting to see how it works. Um, but it's, I think TVB has a good thing going right now, locally, with the streaming. Um, especially when they had ABC shows on uh, under the MITV deal. Um, so I think that success will may lead to something locally. Not, maybe not exactly Hulu, but maybe um, something else. Now TV already has a, has a video on-demand service, actually, for, for, um, for newer, newer episodes of uh, certain television networks. I think ABC is one of them. I mean, maybe it's the only one. So it's just right now it's a matter of time to wait for other networks to jump on that deal is a little expensive, uh, the Now TV one, but it just depends on, it's a matter of time for people to jump on it. As far as Paul, when you talk about Netflix, uh, I'm not sure if you're looking with Netflix streaming or the mail, the mail DVD rental service. Um, I don't want the mail service. I, and I know that, I, you know, from what I've read in the States, they've separated the two. They're two different subscription services now. I could care beans about um, the, the mail order service, you know, from an international perspective, I want obviously the streaming service. Mm. Um, and there's no reason that they couldn't offer it. Like I said, we, we've talked about before iTunes offers rentals internationally, as long as you can pay in the credit card of the host country that you're renting from. Right. Um, well, yeah, because that's assuming that you have an address there and using their, the money goes back to the States. Yeah. And, and the thing is, there's no region 
regional block, but of course, it's still they're doing as much as they can to make sure it stays in the states. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, so in the in 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 the way, these kind of licensing thing is still going on. Streaming is it's very because Hong Kong and China. Um, I do throw in like a cultural, cultural whatever. But you offer any kind of service, uh, any technology, new technology, and people are going to. And that's exactly like you have teams of people on the internet around the country. You have a billion people, and there's like a team of people who are trying to crack how to make that thing free. Well, of and course. every time they You're crack always... that thing, but but see, that's becomes... the that's the problem. And and I I think we got into a long Twitter discussion about this earlier last week. Um, the the problem the companies have, and in part I think even iTunes still has this problem a little bit, is mm-hmm. that they're too greedy. And I don't say this as, you know, a socialist or, or some kind of anti-capitalist. I, companies want to make their money fine, but they haven't... The, the reason why piracy is such a problem is they haven't found the right price point. Apple did it with music. You know, if mm-hmm. you remember back in the, in the late 90s with Napster and, and all that big issue going on and, and all the kids, you know, basically um, doing the music problem, well... The music industry kind of got reinvented with the iPod, and in part because they found a price point that really worked for music. And they need to find the same thing for television shows and for um, for films. And, you know, even Apple still hasn't quite found it. Apple wants to charge, you know, like two ninety nine for either a one-hour television show or a, an episode of The Simpsons, which is like 20, you know, not even 20 minutes these mm-hmm. days. You know, well, so they, yeah. I, I still don't think they've got the price point down. But if they get it, it'll make piracy too much trouble to worry with. You just click a button, it automatically pays from your account, and you feel good about it. Well, hell, here's the thing. Okay, one, um, iTunes just took away its t- television rental function. I don't know if you knew this. That's oh, really? one thing. Yes, it's, they've, they've taken it away. It's, it's gone. Because, well, okay, that's one thing. Well, they never had television rental. They did, right? Per episode, didn't they? No, no. It's always been for for like t- for like TV shows like Twenty Four or uh, Teen Wolf or whatever. You always had to purchase the season okay. or purchase the episodes. Um, they only oh. do rentals for films, as as far as I know. I haven't seen any TV shows available. Just talked about taking taking that away. Yeah. I guess certain shows. Anyway, the other point is there are people whose view is, and especially in China and Hong Kong, when you talk about, we ask them why are they downloading, why are they downloading, they say. If it's there for free, why should I pay for it? To them, it's, it becomes a matter of principle that even ninety-nine cents U.S. Yeah. five dollars, well, ten dollars is too much to pay for. And the problem with that is that it's because it's overseas content, so it doesn't come back and and affect them directly. And I've even ta- for local films, especially Hong Kong films, they're more willing to do yeah, it because but, but it see, doesn't get that point doesn't and, get to and their that. And that comes back to enforcement. The the government turns a blind eye because it's not really hurting their industry. Right, but when the industry gets big enough, when so many jobs and so much tax revenue is generated through local artists doing local works, and the pirating of that becomes a big issue for a lot more people, I think then you'll see the government do some heavy legislation. Right now, they don't really care because you know most of what gets done is Hollywood stuff, and that's not money out of their pockets for the most part. Well, the thing is, the, the entertainment industry in Hong Kong were so aware that they came out and marched. They did what all good Hong Kongers do. They marched in 1990. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had that commercial with, uh, who was it? Uh, 
uh, Jackie and Arnold on yeah. the motorcycle. Jackie and I are on a mission to stop piracy. If this were a movie, we could take on the bad guys ourselves. But this is the real world. We need your help. When you buy pirate movie and music, you support criminals. Now these criminals are counterfeiting other things, like electronics and medicine. Take action. Demand the real thing. Help us stop piracy. Let's terminate it. Don't be pirates. Piracy's bad. We'll yeah, come and, and beat you of, up. Right, and that kind of publicity hasn't worked. Um, now, especially now that downloading is free, people oh, even okay. back then when they bought stuff. Yeah, but of course that uh, yeah. that's not going to work because what what is that? That's you know Jackie Chan, millionaire, probably billionaire Jackie Chan, and, and billionaire Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out and saying, you know, don't do piracy. It's bad. You're taking money out of my pocket. You know. No, okay. no, nobody wants to hear that message. What you, the, the message you want to see is is the production assistant guy who doesn't have a job now, or the lighting guy, or the grips. You know, um, those guys that you know don't have a, a, an industry to work in. Um, and who was it? Um, Marco was talking on Twitter about the, um, the, the Stephen Shin, I guess, mm-hmm. was you know saying, ah, oh, forget about Hong Kong, right? Yeah, you're, you, you you kids aren't going to work in Hong Kong cinema. You're gonna you're gonna have to look to the mainland, and in part it's because of that you know th- that same issue. That's one of the reasons the industry's died. Not the only reason, obviously, but you know it comes back to that that sense that people didn't care, but they didn't also didn't realize you know they're affecting themselves. So I I think that to them they they have the sense of entitlement that we're supposed to get Hong Kong cinema because they grew up with that thing and they expect it and then of course they also here's the attitude that I always see is that a Patrick Cole movie somehow oh I wouldn't even download it oh it's, <laughs> the thing is okay well, there's, Patrick a, there, there's been a really long conversation on on Weibo because when over her to the pirate copy came out the uh, film publicist came out and attacked the pirates actually quite strongly and that guy actually ended up getting yelled at because the Chinese people attitude is you know what it, your movie is so bad I'm not even gonna download it if I download it and watch it that's me giving you face but You're see lucky that, that I would download no, it that's that is just their attitude. that's just you know that's just like the hacker attitude I'm gonna hack the planet I'm gonna do what I want right um, right and I'm not sure if it's a cultural thing or if it's just uh, bad people don't care or people whatever. And as long as yeah. that kind of mentality is still in the local audience, in the commercial audience, well, in China, in Hong Kong, I don't think that the, the, the studios are going to have any encouragement or motivation to try and push the technology further. Yeah. Well, it, it, if we were to get into ethics, I mean, ethics and business is an, is an issue that's in serious deficit in China. And that's apparent in all industries yeah. um, all these scandals you see milk powder scandals lead in dog food scandals all of that comes back to the same idea that people just want to make money as much as possible they want to be part of that we want to get rich quick first idea and to heck with everything else to heck with morality to heck with um you know um, ethics in any industry whether it's film or making mooncakes or yeah you know, so and of course you're right that there could be more technology to try and stop pirates to to do it to push technology to a new place where, uh, and I think China is doing this right now, online streaming, and it's working because you have the audience. The thing is, Hong Kong, you only have seven million people. Um, you have to rely on overseas distribution deals. If you make it free to the whole world, then you know because 
because advertising is only local. Okay, um, you can only only advertise for things that's local. That's why TVB has to block um, their local streaming uh, outside of Hong Kong because not only the advertising money doesn't go back to them, uh, and two because they have all these kind of overseas rental deals and cable TVs and all that stuff. But yes, you're right. I, there should be technology should push further, but in a way that doesn't attract more piracy, and that is really up to the people. Yeah. And sadly, I don't have enough faith in the people. <laughs> you I have, have to spent, have faith. The thing is, I've spent hundreds, thousands of dollars buying Pahoshar movies, and then there he is, writing on Weibo, saying, you know, you guys don't pay, you guys, the days of getting free, pure Hong Kong movies are over, because you guys download, so it's over. And I'm like, how is that? What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? Is that one man is not enough. It, it becomes, it is the collective mentality that's the problem it's mm-hmm. us me you uh, all the people who buy online you know dvds and things like that apparently we just don't add up enough and i am and i have kind of accepted that that pessimism sadly and that's where i am right now yeah all right well that's enough of our ranting i guess Ooh. all because of hulu going to japan Ooh. <laughs> I'm also speaking right. I can't watch Japanese TV shows here. But anyway, that's something else. <laughs> All right, a couple more news stories. Um, you've got a news story for us, Kevin, about Han Sanping? Yes, a couple of things. Um, Founding of Republic and Beginning of Great Revival are two films of a trilogy that um, China Film Group had Han Sanping plans to make. Uh, it's called He calls it the Red Trilogy. So after those two about the founding of the nation and the founding of the Communist Party, the third movie is apparently a biopic of Mao Zedong. Yes, to complete the trilogy, it is the bio- biopic. And um, Han Sanping has said publicly that he wants Zhang Wen, uh, director of Little Birds Fly, the star of, uh, co-star of Lost Placement, uh, and of course director of uh, Devils on a Stor- Doorstep, he wants Zhang Wen to play Mao. Um, this is interesting because Huan Jianxin, who is the co-director of these films, said that they, they just they just want him. They actually haven't signed him yet. Uh, they're still writing the script. So, and it's really interesting because Zhang Wen is not exactly um, a man who who falls to party line, uh, especially when last week's or two weeks ago's uh, Hua Biao Awards, uh, which is um, a film awards uh, held by the State Administration of Radio and Film and Television, they failed to give Let the Bullets Fly any award whatsoever. Wow. Um, 50% of the nominated films won awards. Mm. So this is really interesting. Um, will Zhang Wen say yes? Apparently Zhang Wen has expressed his wish to play Mao before. Um, this is kind of surprising news to me and I'd be really disappointed, not in Zhang Wen, but in how powerful Hang Sanping is in that he can call up anyone and make them fall to party line. Uh, and that is really interesting to see how powerful a China film group is. Um, what do you think, Paul? You think Zhang Wen, Mao, a good match? I don't. Match I don't see him? it. I mean, he's an excellent actor. I'm. I'm sure that if he was taken to the task of doing it, he would do a great job. I just don't. He doesn't. I mean, and and what story is it going to tell? I mean, why not just get the kid who started doing it in um, in the last one? Uh, I mean, you I, mean uh, who played him? Liu Ye, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, why not get him back? Because what are you going to tell? You, you, you're not going to tell his childhood, are you? I mean, they, they've already left out key things in um, in uh, the founding of a party, or what was it called? Um, 
uh, beginning of Great Revival. Yeah, beginning of the Great Revival. Yeah, this one is going to cover the uh, the 30s to the 50s, so I think it's going to overlap. Yeah, the two, I mean, it, the two movies. If yeah. they're trying to make them as a trilogy, you need some. I think you need the same actor, you know, to do a transition between the 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 second film and the first film, right? I mean, oh, they want to do a trilogy. I think they should do the Great Leap Forward or a Cultural Revolution. I think that would complete. No, they're not going to touch that <laughs> with a ten foot pole or the Great Leap Forward. Um, yeah, um, you know, I. It is a terrible, terrible idea. It's a it's, a bad, it's a bad happen. idea. If it gets Zhang Wen some political points and makes him able to do some more films, I guess that's understandable. Um, <laughs> of course, I'll see it. You know, but I just it's don't... a really bad idea yeah. because um, netizens it, or it's sit- well, it's an idea. It's like saying, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the, the the hottest star right now. He's not, I know, but if you know, back in the '90s when he was, we're going to get him to play George Washington. <laughs> you know, it's just like such a mitch, mit, a mismatch of a casting, and you're just doing it because of the popularity, especially on an international level, of a particular superstar. The thing is, uh, after Let the Bullets Fly, John Wynn is kind of like the people's hero because he was able to sneak in all these so called political metaphors or allegory or symbolism or, you know, government criticism or whatever into Let the Bullets Fly that. And, and pushed the boundaries so far that he kind of became the people's hero. So what if he takes up this role and becomes a man of the party or falls into party line? It's going to kill his public publicity. I mean, publicly. You think so? Yes, yes. If, I, think, I mean, maybe he'll be able to do it tongue-in-cheek. Without no, I, I think he's un, he, is, he is unable to do it because he'll, be, uh, he'll just be the actor. So yeah. if, if netizens partly killed Beginning of Great Revival... Uh, and it did. Let's face it, it did. It made tons of money, but it did because it did make less money than Founding Republic, and it killed it. And the netizens killed its its reputation or killed its credibility. This, I think, if they already killed that one, they will murder. They will literally tear this one a new hole. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully he'll make the right decision, whatever that may be. There is no right decision here. If Hans Zombie calls you, you say, if Hans Zombie calls me and say I have to be in, in, in the Mao Zedong. Kevin Ma, Mao Zedong. Yes, I would have to say yes, even if it's just like, oh, give me two <laughs> seconds and I'll be in it for two seconds and I'm holding a flag or applauding or something. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as you ascend to Tiananmen Square to, you know, lead the people in their, uh, in, in the, 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 the first, you know, congressional speech, we hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Yoshikai! <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, all right. So yeah, l- l- let's move on. Uh, we're we're spending a lot of time on news today. Uh, you got some news for about source code? Yes. One more thing. Um, source code opened last week in China, and guess what? It's number one at the box office. Uh, the film was delayed, I think, for about two months. It was set to come out early in the summer, and and just pushed it back to this uh, to last week. Now I have a question: How is this film being allowed to show since they've come out with, you know, censorship rules saying you can't have time travel? Um, well, the thing is, this is not time travel that affects Chinese history oh. or history in any way. Actually, in in um, the rule specifically is that you cannot change historical events through time travel. 
and that's what people were complaining about. That people there there are apparently shows that about time traveling back to you know things that are in solid history, like real history, and then they change those events. So source code deals with a fictional event, um, so it's perfectly okay, I guess. I was more worried about the train, the train aspect, you know, about train. Oh uh, yeah, blowing up. But apparently it was okay, and the film opened in China last weekend. It made forty two point eight million yuan, which is. Um, Quite good. It's about half the opening of Overheard well, 2. Why do you think it's 2. doing so well? Just because there's nothing else playing against it? or Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Overheard 2 was in its third week. Um, Cars 2 flopped. Uh, there's, was, there was nothing else really major. There was a communist, you know, another party movie. There's nothing major until next weekend when you have, uh, or this coming weekend when you have Love in, Love in Space and My Kingdom. So this movie just kind of became the only big thing. Um it's not really huge growth considering how many shows it had and, and per show average and all that. It's an okay 20 to 30 emissions per show, which is not a big deal. But um, I think it's going to end up making more money than Mysterious Island, which is a great <laughs> a great thing, I guess. which is mm. a big deal. Um, it, it'll make more money than Cars 2. So there you go. It's, it's going to be one of the higher grossing um, foreign films of the year. Probably one of the highest grossing films of the summer because it did kind of open at the end of summer. Uh, meanwhile, Overheard 2 now passed 202 million yuan. And um, I think in about a week and a half, it will pass Shaolin to become the second highest um, grossing Chinese language film of 2011, right under beginning of the Great Revival. Hmm. So that is really impressive for uh, Alan Mack and Felix Chung. Um, it's also done 20, past 20 million mark here in Hong Kong. So after, and it might also break Shaolin's uh, record to become, I think, the third highest uh, grossing local film in Hong Kong so far this year. So, uh, Overheard 2, really impressive. Um, yeah, so that's, that's Chinese box of... I'll go into it more detailed um, maybe tomorrow um, on my blog, The Golden Rock. Um, I will do some more analysis and we'll talk about, you know, of course, the, the recommended SARP films um, and other things like that. All right. Our final story this week, um, actually just a little bit of news that just popped up, right? Uh, a new uh, adventure film called Lee's yeah. Adventure starring Jackie Chan's son. Yes, this is uh, based on a fairly popular uh, webcomic, I think. There's a lot of uh, hype on about this or a lot of expectation, anticipation for this on the internets. The internets. Um, it stars Stacey Chan, and um, it seems like it's a fantasy about, I guess, kind of a gamer who, who falls into this fantasy world, and it deals. With, it has a lot of special effects, like uh, comic, comic book effect, uh, animation. Um, it's yeah, it looks like an interesting film. Uh, I think it comes out in a month or two in China. I don't know. Kind of looks like Virtual Recall to me. Oh, it, if only it was as good as Virtual Recall. <laughs> I would totally watch it. Um, hype right now is not huge, but except on the internet with the, with the fans of the comic, I think there's a lot of anticipation there. So uh, the trailer has English subtitles, so check it out. See see what's coming out of uh, China. All right. Well, that's it for news. It's time to move on to our East Screen section for this week. All right, so for East Screen this week, not really sure if this is actually an East Screen film or if it's a West Screen film or it's a somewhere in the middle film. But we cover all aspects here 
on East Screen, West Screen. So we're sticking it in the East Screen section because we don't have anything else to put there this week. <laughs> and that is Snowflower and the Secret Fan, the, the, the latest um, Hollywood film coming from director Wayne Wang, but starring uh, China's actor, Chinese actress Li Bing Bing and Korean actress Jiana Jun, also known as Jun Ji Hoon, um, made famous from the My Sassy Girl uh, film. Um, the two girls star together in dual roles. Um, the story starts out in modern-day Shanghai, um, following the, the life of a girl named Nina, played by Ling, Li Bingbing, who's a sort of a modern-day executive who's just gotten an offer to um, go with her boss to New York to set up a new office. Um, so she's very excited about this promotion, and suddenly her life is thrown into turmoil when she gets a call from the local hospital and finds out that a friend of hers named Sophie um, has been in a car accident and is now in a coma. Um, we then start to discover that these two girls have a relationship um, that extends back, although they've been out of contact for a couple years. Um, and in fact, they were quite close. And as Nina sort of starts to uncover what was going on with Sophie's life over the past six months, um, she also starts to reflect back on a story um, that Sophie was working on uh, about two girls in, uh, I guess it's the Qing Dynasty in China, uh, ancient, a earlier period in China, um, named Lily, also played by Li Bingbing, and Snowflower, also played by Jiana Jun, who are considered as uh, Lao Tong. Now they try and do some explanation of what Lao Tong is, um, and perhaps, Kevin, you can give us the Cantonese version of Lao Tong. Um, but basically, it's there sort of... There isn't one, I think. There isn't one? There isn't one. Um, it's sort of like an arranged friendship. Um, you're probably quite familiar with the matchmakers um, in China, and you've, if you've seen films like Raise the Red Lantern, <clears throat> um, they've touched on this subject of the arranged marriage and the matchmakers you know, playing sort of the intermediary role and in trying to set up a, a good marriage, um, an, an upwardly mobile marriage to a good family uh, for a daughter. And But before this can happen, uh, in this case, the matchmaker has to arrange, unarranged, or has to arrange a friendship for these two girls because it has to do with their horoscope and uh, some of the beliefs at the time. So the two girls are basically put together to be best friends and they become best friends and sort of like soulmates um and the film explores this relationship of these two women um growing up going through foot binding together and then going on to um, get married to different husbands and their communications back and forth over the course of their lives as they remain the best of friends even though they live very different lives um, they communicate through um a dialogue known as women speak um, which is basically a secret language taught to women. And they use this to write back and forth, and their writing is on paper fans, which they secretly send to each other. Um, so as this story is going along, it sort of parallels with the story of Nina and Sophie in the present day, and we learn more and more about their lives. Um, some other notables in the film, including Vivian Wu, who makes an appearance as... Um, an aunt character, and Wu Jiang, who's the butcher, who is, ends up being the wife, or, or the husband of Snowflower uh, later on. So, 
what can we say? What can we say about this film? Well, it opens with Russell Wong, so it's got an epic hmm. start already. I mean, he's no Michael Wong, but he is his brother, so he's got some of that Wong acting in his blood. Hmm. Um, he's actually got a pretty small role here. He's basically only in one scene, but it was nice to see him. Um, you'll remember he's sort of a, an, uh, he he was in uh, earlier Michael Wong film, uh, uh, Wayne Wang films, excuse me, a- including uh, I want to say. Um, uh, Joy Luck Club and Eat a Bowl of Tea, also starring Eric Tsang uh, when he was much younger. Um, so th- this film, because of that, because of the way it's shot, because of sort of the parallel stories that are going on, it really feels like a return to the director's roots. The performances are okay. Uh, I think uh, I'm a big fan of both both actresses, Li Bingbing uh, and Jiana Jun. But some of the scenes struggle. Um, because they switch channels a lot. Um, Gianna is playing a character who is actually Korean, uh, but whose family went from ancient China to Korea, and she only came back to China when she was 14. So that tries to sort of explain her, the problem she has speaking Mandarin. Um, And she speaks Korean uh, in a couple, in in one scene with her father. Um, But the two girls, when they're together, they're speaking English. Um, and so there are a couple of moments where they're kind of struggling. The, 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 the pacing's a little bit off, and, and, and it seems odd. But it, it's not throughout the entire, entirety of the film. In the ancient period, uh, both of the girls are speaking uh, Mandarin. But I'm thinking that Gianna is dubbed. Um, but it was a really good dubbing job, because I had some difficulty really pinpointing uh, the dubbing. Uh, but I'm pretty sure she was dubbed in those scenes. She might have been doing her own Mandarin, and if she was, it was it was pretty good. Um, but really, Jenna needed, as Sophie, needed a lot more moments with her father where she could really shine using her native language um, because the moment that she does have is very short, kind of touching, and I think they could have done more with that. Um, so, yeah, that's the story. I mean, it, it parallels the lives of these, the, the relationships of these two um, girls and their friendship. And then suddenly Wolverine shows up and he starts singing a song. And, and I'm not kidding. He actually, you know, okay, it's not Wolverine. It's Hugh Jackman. Um, but he shows up. He, he, he does a musical number. And it's just kind of like out of the blue. And I don't think he's actually officially credited in the credits list. Um, when I was looking through it, I didn't see his name there. I could have missed it, um, but I didn't see it. So I'm assuming if he's not listed as Hugh Jackman, he's his secret identity as Wolverine, right? So, um <laughs> It was, you know, it was just kind of all of a sudden. I wasn't expecting to see him, and, and then there he is, um, as this character who's in a relationship with um, the modern day uh, character of Gianna, uh, of Sophie. Um, so, you know, again, these women communicate through this secret language, and that sort of sets up the basis for some of what's going on in present day Shanghai with these old objects and artifacts that are being put on display. I was just thinking, wait, women actually have a secret language? <laughs> I mean, if this ever gets out to the rest of the world, we are really doomed. <laughs> um, that's that's not good you know, for women to have a secret language all of their own. Uh, they will take over the planet. Um, How dare they? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Michelle Bachman and, uh, and uh, Sarah Palin have that language down already. I don't know. Sorry, it's called a stupid language. <laughs> not, the, not the woman language. Yeah, and send your emails to now. Kevin Ma at East Notice. <laughs> um, back to the film the attention to detail though here is really nice there are some there's some really good cinematography particularly in the older periods that's very nicely composed 
in contrast, though, the Shanghai sections look kind of blasé. I'm wondering if that was done on purpose or done to keep the overall production cost down, figuring they didn't need to, you know, make the scenes in Shanghai that pretty, or they they really wanted to show the differences between sort of old China and new China. Or, or Shanghai is an ugly city. Yeah, and yeah. they did kind of focus on a lot of the reconstruction that was going on. There was one scene in particular that was very reminiscent of a scene that he did in... Um, uh, the Chinese box in yeah. Hong Kong, where he was very much focused on a lot of the construction going on in Hong Kong when he did that film. And there's a scene that's, it's it's very reminiscent of that if you've, in, in this film as well, if you've seen uh, the Chinese box. Um, so nice attention to detail, but the themes themselves are all stuff we've seen before. It's basically, it sucks to be women in China, um, men are jerks, Chinese mothers are overbearing, I mean, okay, he knows this material. He's covered this in, in films he's done before. I'd like to see him do something that really challenges this one day. I think we know these stereotypes, and I think that might be one of the problems with that critics are having with the film, because it's not being very well received. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd really like to see him do a more upbeat story about upbeat people who, you know, because I'm sure that many women had problems and i mean they deal with foot binding in this one and that was a big a big issue but there were not there there were women who had good lives too and he kind of focuses on that but the, you know this is a drama it's not it's not a comedy it's not a happy film per se i would have liked to i'd like to see him try and do something a little bit different with the theme it, um, it sounds like uh this is one of those this is a new term i have after doing the fresh rape movie this is what i call like a china china misery movie yeah, you know, like, very, very, very much so. I mean, it's not yeah. as miserable as, you know, you could throw Gong Li in this and bring the misery factor up by about 20%. <laughs> um, but, it, yeah, it doesn't get as bad as some of the films that, that they've done. But it's those same kinds of things. I mean, if you if you saw the themes and the things going on in the Joy Luck Club, you, you <clears throat> see very similar things here. Um and, and, and to be fair, the, it's based on a different writer. Joy Luck Club was Amy Tan. This is coming from a book from, uh, I think her name's Lisa C. And they did a little bit of a divergence from what I've read on the book. I haven't read her book yet. Um, but apparently all the modern day stuff is new. Um, that her book actually just focuses on uh, the old the old China characters of um, of uh, Snow, Sophie and Snow, or Lily and Snowflower, excuse me. It doesn't uh, have the newer characters of Nina and Sophie in the modern day. Um, Here's the uh, funny thing. Uh, Lisa C is only 118th Chinese, by the way. Okay. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> just, Sorry. She just... <clears throat> She's tapping into her inner Amy Tan gene, I guess. Yeah, her inner um, 118th Chinese. Yeah. But uh, to give this film a little bit more legitimacy, it is actually produced by Mrs. Rupert Murdoch, uh, <laughs> Wendy Deng, the pie-smacking... Uh, wife of the media mogul, so it's got some uh, pretty big production power coming in behind it. Uh, in some, I'd say, if you like Wayne Wang and you like period stories, if you got into his earlier work like um, Eat a Bowl of Tea or The Joy Luck Club, um, or even The Chinese Box, which you know to me is my favorite Wayne Wang, Wang film to this day. I, I don't think he's he's done anything better, but I'm a little bit biased because of the subject matter. Um, I'd say that if you, if you like his style and you like period stories in China, 
uh, just this is a see it. If you only like the actresses, you can probably wait for video and TV it. 乘客您好，欢迎乘坐上海出租汽车。我们将竭诚为您服务。本公司叫车电话号码：六四三三九六五九。祝您旅途愉快。Hello passenger, welcome to Shanghai. We will provide service for you with all my heart. Wish you have a pleasant journey. <laughs> mimicking Hong Kong Dave's question. That is a style of music. Um, um, it's the CD is called Shanghai Divas, and I, I forget what they call it. It's it's a remix of old Shanghai specific song. It's um, Tinai Gaoli. I don't know what the English name is, but yeah, it's a yeah. very famous song. Yeah. But basically, um, what what they do is they take these old uh, famous singers. Um, uh, like um, Chao Suan, uh, Li Xianglan, and Yao Li, and their famous songs, and they remix them in sort of these new age uh, mixes. And then I don't know why. I mean, this is a very old CD. I want to say it's almost uh, eight years old. Um, but they were using music from this CD in the film, uh, like the Shanghai art exhibition. So I don't know if it's still popular. In Shanghai, that's just Wayne Wang's idea of contemporary um, fusion music, as you were. But there's a couple of these CDs that have been produced. Um, this one that I have was actually produced with, uh, in conjunction with Shanghai Tang, the clothing outfitters. Um, but I think there's been a couple more versions put out there, and they're they're all just basically remixes of these old songs. And you can, I think there's a couple on YouTube, on iTunes as well. So. Uh, if you're interested, Shanghai Divas, you can check them out. So, West Green this week. Um, I have not seen a West Green film at all. I've been a terribly lazy person, uh, trying to focus on work and school and lots of other not-so-important things, but things I have to get done. So, Kevin, it's all you, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yes, this week I'm talking about Horrible Bosses, the the dark comedy uh, from Hollywood. Um, it stars um, Jason Bateman, uh, who I guess is the biggest name of the three. Uh, comedian Charlie Day and um, Saturday Night Live uh, cast member Jason Sudeikis. 
Help me out here, Paul. Sudelkis. Have you heard of him? Jason Sudelkis. Okay, I, I say I don't know how I many times I've Sudeikis, yeah. Sudeikis, okay. Uh, they're three out of luck. Um, working Joe. Um, Jason Bateman's character, um, Nick, is uh, he works at a financial firm uh, under a very, very terrible boss, uh, Dave Harkin, played by Kevin Spacey. Uh, he's uh, Dave Harkin is one of those really maniacal um rule the company of an iron fist kind of boss who wouldn't who would give himself an extra job just to stop uh nick from getting promoted so obviously he has some kind of grudge there um charlie day uh plays uh dental assistant dale um who somehow has uh a, by some kind of mistake has a sex offender record um so he's forced to work as a dental assistant under uh his nympho Nympho boss, uh, Julia, played by Jennifer Aniston, who some, for some odd reason keeps wanting to have sex with him, uh, even though Dale is um, engaged to a very wonderful fiancé. Uh, and Jason Sudeikis uh, plays Kurt, um, who was a loyal member uh, of, of a chemical company that was previously run by um, uh, the character played by Donald Sutherland, who is in a small cameo. But after he dies, his... Um, cocaine cokehead son bobby played by colin farrow takes over and wants to squeeze the company out of uh, every cent before closing it down and living his life continue living his life as a spoiled rich man so these three guys um under circumstance cannot quit their jobs because well the economy is terrible and and other various villainous related circumstance they can't quit the job so in a moment of desperation they decide to murder their bosses um and the most of the movie is about how they put they put together the plan which includes um hiring a ex-con played by uh jamie fox um who can't really help them commit the murder but will give him the advice of making the murders look like an accident so the whole movie is about them trying to set this whole thing up um, you know, everyone can kind of relate to this idea. They all have uh, something bad about their boss, uh, except me, of course. I have a wonderful, wonderful boss. Uh, two wonderful, wonderful bosses. Uh, so I have no risk to kill my boss. So I cannot relate to this movie whatsoever. But everyone else has some kind of issue against their uh, superiors, especially if they're bad people. So it's kind of one of those easy ideas that you can relate with that in some kind of fantasy, you want to kill your boss. But the thing is, it's hard to make that work in a real-world context, especially uh, when you try to convince these people why, or convince us why can't these three people just quit their jobs and move on to something else if their bosses are this horrible. So the movie tries really almost as hard to convince people that they have to resort to killing their boss as they do executing it. So there's a whole thing about, again, like I said, uh, Dale is the accidental sex offender they they throw a supporting character um a guy who was making it big in lehman brothers but goes back home and then um can't find a job and has to turn into a, a gigolo to make money so they so you know they, they they really come up with a lot of excuses to make these people not be able to leave their jobs and in that process they also make the three bosses really over the top uh villains so bad that they kind of leave reality but while they're trying to they're trying to uh, convince us that this is a real it almost situation. reminds me in in some ways of a film i want to say it's back in the 90s called uh 
Throw Mama from the Train. Uh th- actually, that movie this it does get brought up in the it is it is referred to is at it? one okay. point. But I didn't know it's about. I didn't know that this is kind of a similar idea. Yeah, that one. Uh, who is it? I think I want to say Billy Crystal and yeah, Danny DeVito. Uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah, and uh, it, you know, it was basically well, the guy hates his mother and he wants to get somebody else to try and bump her off. Um, and when I saw the trailer for this one, I was like, eh, it's kind of like the same thing. Yeah, they actually bring up for some some reason. I forgot what the exact conversation was. I think they were yeah somehow they brought up from off from the train. I didn't realize there was that 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 uh, parallel. But uh, so that being said, the whole over the top thing that means that the three employees, the three leading men, they're the straight men of the situation, and the bosses are so over the top that they're kind of comic relief. Kevin Spacey is really just snarky me, which means he is at his best. He's having probably the most fun. Um, uh, Jennifer Aniston almost goes naked uh, as the nympho, the nymphomaniac, and she she she's good because she's doing all these these um, kind of provocative uh, position and things like that, and, and without without doing the actual nudity, which is kind of sad. Um, and also uh, Colin Farrell, who has the least, actually the smallest role of the three bosses, um, doing the with the has the comb over the the comb over and the playing the the, the mean. The mean, uh, pretty much like a human scum, and that is also fun to watch. Um, so the movie is really entertaining, but again, the movie spends too much time setting this up. It shows these three guys as kind of incompetent, really in over their heads, um, setting up, and most of the movie sets up the idea, but it never really gels into something that's smarter. At one point, there's a certain direction they go in that could have made it something more clever or something a little more complicated something a little more intricate something that could throw into a farce territory but they kind of pull back um and then instead they just have one particular boss become really extra villain the super super villain and that apparently solves everything so it's kind of a lazy way out if you ask me um i did laugh it is funny in parts uh so it's um pretty painless watch uh, a lot of people have fun with it at theater i saw it pretty much at a full house it's like 400 seat theater so a lot of people have fun with it but because they spend so much time setting up the idea instead of throwing things that we could relate to or that it, it kind of gets away from the idea that we can relate to this movie. Instead, it just kind of goes in this dark comedy territory about how these green comedy guys trying to in over their heads, setting up the crime. You, you, you stop relating to it as much as you should. So it feels like a waste, wasted opportunity at either one, something that's like office space, or two... Uh, a really clever kind of farce, dark comedy kind of territory. Right now, it's n- nowhere near even being in the middle of the two. So it's just something of its own, and it's not really that good to some really average for me. So I would say in any circumstance, it is, you know, it, it is kind of worth watching just for that title and, and some of the, the comedy is good, and Kevin's, and the three bosses are great. So... I would suggest that you TV it, you know, something we can rent on DVD or I wouldn't even say watch on HBO because it's so crude that HBO, you know, they'll cut it. So if you're in America, you can watch it on HBO TV it. But if you're elsewhere, like you're in Hong Kong or something, I would say, you know, rent it. That's pretty much the best I can say for horrible bosses. All right. Some people have said um, that Colin Farrell is very reminiscent of um, Tom Cruise in uh, Tropic Thunder. I think it's just a just just a comb over. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure 
No, because because Tom Cruise was in a very different role. He was the studio head. Um, here is just kind of a coke coke addicted loser, mm-hmm. um, without you know the wit. So it's not. It, he's kind of in a world of his own. But it's just really interesting to see Colin Farrell play against that you know handsome pretty boy type. Whenever he does that, it's always interesting to watch, especially in the comedy. All right. So without getting too spoilery. Okay. Um, would the film play in China as it is? No. Okay. <laughs> just for the crude, just for the crude whole nympho thing. Just for that, it's already not China playable. Mm. So wouldn't work. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. All right. We would like to remind all the listeners out there that our show is now on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our tiny little show. Um, If you would like to get in contact with us, we didn't get any comments from the last show. I'm kind of wondering if... uh, Summer Love Love scared everybody off. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't listen to a show if it's Summer Love Love. <laughs> it would be like, did you? was there a typo there? It's, yeah. Wait, Sufe? <laughs> well, anyway, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us over at the website, www.concast.com, or you can find us over on iTunes. You can leave us a review over there. Um, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast, uh, to follow what's going on with the show. Or you can follow Mr. Ma and his daily musings over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. You can email us at the show at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to include an audio review, a short review, or a question or two, or or even a comment, we might just play it here on the show. Um, So send those in. We'd be happy to uh, peruse them. Uh, I want to say a quick thanks to everybody who helps make the show possible. Big thanks to Rob Gobers for of Snauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHongKongFilm.com for keeping us in the know and on the go with lots of movies and movie nights to watch films at here in Hong Kong. Uh, Big thanks to the K-Man himself for joining me on this big adventure. What are you going to be writing about this week, sir? Where can people find your writing? You can find my reviews of English language film playing here in Hong Kong on www.ypmovies.com. Is there a .hk? I don't remember. YPMovies.com. Uh, the English page will feature um, at least one review a week from me. This week, I will be reviewing the Steven Soderbergh film, Contagion. All right. And yes. that's going to be an interesting film to watch yes, and shot, to talk about. One third of it shot in here in Hong Kong. So it's partly East Screen. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yes. We'll have to figure out if it's a good part or a bad part. Hmm. Um, so that's where you can find out what the K-Man, Mr. Ma, is doing. Of course, we'd like to thank... All of you, all the listeners, regardless of how you access the show, whether you're listening to us live or you're listening to us in the podcast form, we thank you for your patronage uh, and we appreciate you being a part of the show. Next show, our episode 83, we're going to be talking about Love in Space, um, the new anthology-based film on romance. And uh, looks like it's going to have maybe a smidgen of science fiction in it, so I'm kind of excited. 
I don't know. We'll see. Um, also talking about the latest Wang Jing film. It is a Wang Jing film, right? Treasure Hunt. Uh, Wang Jing produced. Wang Jing produced film. Um, starring the former Mrs. Nick Tse and her son, Lucas Tse. That's Cecilia Chung and Lucas. Um, I don't know. What, any initial thoughts on this? I mean, bringing the kid in to be an actor? Kind of well, young. The film flopped in China, and have I haven't seen one trailer or one poster outside of Dynasty here in Hong Kong. So yeah. it's got Ethan Chang and Ronald Chang. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There might Eakin's be something. Ethan's in a cameo, so it might not even be worth might it. Might be might be something redeemable. And of course, we'll be talking about Contagion, the film that Kevin just mentioned, which is basically kind of like SARS in film form. From what Without I've Dustin Hoffman or yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. Or, yeah. So all of that and uh, a whole lot more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, and uh, happy Mid-Autumn Festival. Thank you.